0: no one was going to tell me that I belonged. No one was going to tell me that I deserved it. And no one was going to confirm to me that it was real, that I sort of had to take the step in on my own.
1: Hello, hello, friends, and welcome to the Medicine Stories podcast, where we are remembering what it is to be human upon the earth through interviews with herbalists, story keepers, ancestral listeners, consciousness explorers, earth dreamers, and other wise folk with the grounding principles that story is medicine, magic is real, and healing is open-ended and endless. I am Amber Magnolia Hill. This is episode 36, and my guest today is herbalist Rebecca Altman. Um, I'm really excited to share this interview with you, But I got to say a few things first, and one of those is that I didn't plan to be on this little month-long hiatus that just happened, and I apologize for the absence of the show. I know many of you tell me that you just, um, you know, wait for it and love when it comes out, and um, it's very much my intention to have it out at least every two weeks, as I've talked about many times before. But I had an unexpected family emergency to deal with, actually just got through, a really heavy week uh, where my sister and I had to run down to the Bakersfield area to help our severely alcoholic father get out of a problem that he had created. I've talked about him and his addiction many times on the show and talked about my Bakersfield kin in episode 29 quite a bit. Um, So yeah, back in October, he let a handyman who I guess did some work for him. I don't know if they had a previous relationship or if he just knocked on the door one day, but he ended up giving my dad this sob story about how he'd been kicked out by his wife and had nowhere to live. And so my dad let him move in because my dad's a really kind and empathetic person. A lot of people hear the word alcoholic and immediately um, associate that with an abusive personality, but he's not like that at all. And so, you know, as you might expect over time, the situation just got pretty weird. And um, the man was putting up, like, padlocks and rooms to keep my dad out of rooms in his own house. So this house, before my dad lived in it, my grandparents lived in it. And before they lived in it, my great-grandmother lived in it. Uh, She died when I was five, and she had the house built in 1950. And so it's always been our family home. It's the ancestral home place that my sister and I grew up going to. And it just felt like desecration, you know, like this stranger came in and um, he started letting other people crash there. And I think he was quite possibly dealing or doing both drugs. Um, and he was stealing money from our dad. So It it was just a bad situation and seemed to be getting worse. And we didn't know what to do about it. We were talking with his two friends down there and they were trying to intervene. And my dad would ask this guy to leave. And then he would go back and say, no, it's okay. You can stay. I know you have nowhere to go. And so finally, we got some really good advice, which was to go down there and file an elder abuse restraining order for financial abuse because we had documentation that this guy was taking my dad's card when he was out of it. And, um, my dad had given him the pin so he could get groceries back at the beginning. And he was just pulling hundreds, ended up being thousands of dollars out, writing himself checks, writing his friend's checks, really weird situation. So, uh, the judge granted the order. We spied from our neighbor's backyard as the cops escorted this guy out. Then we went over there and spent some hours with our dad and, um, got all the locks changed and canceled the bank card and it's just such a weird situation and um so sad going back to this home that was full of love and joy and goodness when we were growing up and is now just weird weird energy and dad is such a mess and it's so hard to help him we've tried so many times and we've given up trying so many times and you know, we both didn't want to go down there and take care of something else, another problem that he'd created, but it really needed to be done. And I left Nixie for two nights, the first time we've ever been apart um, for that long, the first nights we've ever been apart in her two years and four months of life. And it was fine. She was fine and I was fine. Um, so that was nice <laughs> to know that we're okay now being apart. Uh, and so, lucky and grateful that I weaned her last month, kind of spontaneously. I I wouldn't have been able to leave her if she was still nursing. And I definitely didn't want to bring her with me. So um, then we drove back. And then the next day, we had to drive to Reno. So Bakersfield is a six-hour drive. And Reno is a two-hour drive from where I live to participate in a deposition related to our mom's death in a car accident three years ago. So that was heavy, you know, (laughs) having lawyers ask us questions about, um, what we understand about the accident. And then we basically had to prove how much we loved our mom, um, which was very easy to do because we loved her very much. And, um, yeah, it was just a heavy week between those two things, you know, (laughs) and of course we were both on our periods and just trying to get through it, trying to take care of our people um, in two very different ways. It's just, it's a trip, you know, how, what happens in people's lives, what time, what time can do, as Joanna Newsom sings in the song Anecdotes, um, what time can do to people and to families, and uh, just... I really feel like an adult right now. I like adulted hard last week and it was hard and now it's over and it's okay. And I'm very happy to be back talking to you, sharing this interview. I also want to let you know about an event coming up. So episode 26 guest Daniel Four. um, it was one of the best interviews I've done. I think it's one of the most downloaded. I absolutely loved it. I love Daniel's work. I love his book, Ancestral Medicine website, ancestralmedicine.org. Back in December, I went to an ancestral lineage healing intensive here in Nevada City. I was actually working um, with this line, with my hill line, the pure paternal, father's, 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 father's line, you know, going back in time to when things got broken and what went wrong and why these men became such a long, long line of alcoholics. Um, and just, just working with that, you know, figuring out what happened and trying to bring healing to the, to the unwell dead. Um, and to my father as well, if, if at all possible, which I don't know if it is, but anyway, it was an extremely powerful, beautiful experience that I had over those three days. I just, I could never even put into words what it meant to connect with this ancient well ancestor of that lineage and to learn from him. And uh, I'm still in communication with him every day and will be hopefully for the rest of my life. Uh, I just think that, you know, ancestral healing work is probably the most powerful work that a person can do and that it is so needed right now at this time on the planet so needed by every single person and so there's another one coming up for people who are near the bay area or actually at the one last month people had flown in from all over the country to be at it um, and they're happening all over the country and the world actually this year in 2019 so again you can check out ancestralhealing.org ancestralmedicine.org um, and you know any of daniel's interviews or books there's so many ways to bring this work into your life, but for me, being in that room for those three days with people working on this was just amazing. So I'm doing it again, which is kind of crazy, but I'm so excited. My husband Owen is going to do it with me in Berkeley on February 8th, 9th, and 10th. Uh, the 8th is my birthday. I think I'm going to be working with my mother line this time, my mother's 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 people and you know, really connecting with the spirit of my mother. And I'm just so excited. And I wanted to mention that in case anyone is able to come. There's still tickets available. And one of the facilitators is Pavani More. And Pavani has a podcast called Bespoken Bones, which if you follow me on Instagram, you already know how much I love it. And if you love this podcast, you will love that podcast, Bespoken Bones. Check it out. And finally, one last thing is I want to talk about the two new medicines we have in our shop Mythic Medicinals um, at mythicmedicine.love. We have a lion's mane elixir, which is a triple extraction and a hawthorn berry oxymel. These are two of my very favorite medicines and it was so fun bringing them into being with Owen over the fall and um so the Hawthorn Berry Oxamel. First of all, it tastes so good. That is what brought me into making it is someone had given me one that they made last year and I was like, um, this is the best thing I've ever tasted. I want it all the time. I've gotta make one next year. So we did, and an oxamel is apple cider vinegar and honey. So it's hawthorn berries in those two mediums, and then of course the berries are strained out. And um, it's a medicine that's heart-nourishing, digestion-supporting, and antioxidant-rich. And I formulated it really to fortify your tender yet resilient human body and spirit. I really think of Hawthorne as it just carries this incredible medicine, as do all of the Rose family plants, of this teaching of softness and strength and the intersection of those two. And that, like, sort of porous boundary between us and the rest of the world, Hawthorne helps me find the sweet spot that, that I want to be in that boundary space. So I, I think it helps to keep you soft and vulnerable in that good way, you know, where you're open to experience and you're willing to share yourself with the right people. But also the thorn, right? And keep the boundaries up, Um have an intuitive sense of what to let in and what to keep out, who to let in and who to keep out. So I really think of it as just like a deeply nourishing and fortifying medicine in that way. And there's a ton of science around hawthorn berries and flowers effect on the heart. Um, So that's there too, that real physical medicine. But I really, when I take this and when I formulated it, I'm thinking about like the energetic and emotional medicine that it carries. And then the lion's mane elixir. So lion's mane is a beautiful mushroom. If you've never seen it, like Google image it now. It's so, so beautiful. And we grew the lion's mane at home. So fun, our first time doing that. Um, and then it's triple extracted. So there's three different mediums through which we pulled out the mushroom medicine. Mushrooms have tend to have a huge spectrum of medicine, lots of different chemical constituents. And so if you kind of want that full spectrum, you need to pull it out using different um, solvents because they all pull different things out. So this was made using alcohol, vodka, hot water, and cold water. And so this powerful mushroom supports cerebral and cognitive functioning, helping to optimize focus and memory. As a nerve tonic, it promotes gut health because the gut is rich in nerve endings as well as benefiting the liver and the immune system. And its adaptogenic effects help to regulate the body's stress response. Again, there's a ton of science out there around lion's mane. Um, I started learning a lot about it when my brother-in-law suffered a traumatic brain injury last summer. And so many of the suggestions are lion's mane because it actually has um, this neurogenesis property that is very rare. I don't know if... I don't remember reading about any other substance from the natural world doing that helps neurons to grow again and regenerate and make new connections, which is absolutely amazing. So those are both again, now available in the shop, mythicmedicine.love. And speaking of herbs, one of my favorite herbalists and most amazing medicine makers that I know of, Rebecca Altman is my guest today. We talk about how the journey through grief, depression, and getting on and then getting off of five different pharmaceuticals at once uh, led Rebecca into herbalism. Meeting the spirit of a place and seeing your home through new eyes. Sexy desert plants, creosote, also known as chaparral or Lorea, and ocotillo, um, where there is no word for magic because it's just a normal part of life, and why believing in magic makes us human. The West's missing rites of initiation, and why we have such a hard time adulting. Realizing that no one is going to tell you that you belong, that you have the gift, that you are magical. It's just something that at some point you decide to step into your own power. Uh, The humoral approach to herbalism and healing. Why knowing your personal balance of temperaments, sanguine, choleric, melancholic, and phlegmatic, can help you to know yourself better. Uh, The debilitating cultural preference slash lie embedded in the hero's journey. The virtues of working inefficiently. I love this part of the conversation. I really, really needed this wisdom from Rebecca. And a practice to get you rooted and step back inside yourself, reconnecting to what we have to cut off in order to get things done quicker and better. And then we really dive into Root Medicine. And as part of this episode, Rebecca has created a beautiful 19-page PDF all about Root Medicine for Patreon supporters of this podcast. So that's at patreon.com slash medicine stories for supporters at the $2 a month level. Um, 19 pages of deep-rooted medicine. Within it, you'll find writings about roots the importance of finding roots and standing your own ground, whatever that looks like for you. There are descriptions of six different medicinal roots, kava, spike nerd, or aurelia, devil's club, mullein root, ashwagandha, and shatavari. Um, We talk about those last two a lot in this episode too. And recipes to start using roots in a more playful way. Chai, a bath, infused ghee, and a body oil to broaden the reach of how you use roots and root medicine in your life. Um, Rebecca truly is like a gifted formulator. She's (laughs) prolific and gifted, always coming out with new medicines that just, just reading about them blows my mind. So um, these are the recipes of a real witch, (laughs) a real Scottish witch. Rebecca is a writer and herbalist originally from Scotland, living in the mountains of Southern California She makes herbal formulas, which she sells at her web shop, King's Road Apothecary, and more recently has started a year-long course called The Wonder Sessions, in which she teaches people to connect more deeply to the hidden world around us. So yeah, without further ado, let's dive into this interview with Rebecca Altman. Hello, Rebecca. Welcome to Medicine Stories. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I think, um, I was just thinking about it before this call, and I think we've just been connected online for like a decade or something, you know? Yeah, it's been a really long time. Yeah, since, um, through Kiva, probably, Kiva Rose, and sort of the community that she gathered around herself back in the late 2000s blogging Mm -hmm. about herbalism. Yes, and then the Traditions
0: Conference, and although you only went, you went for the first time. When we met, yeah, in so, 2017, the Good Medicine Confluence, yeah. Yes. Um, but, yes, yeah, through the same the same community for a long time.
1: Yeah, and it was lovely to meet you. And I don't think I've thanked you, but, um, you know, I was just kind of not alone there. I had my baby and my good friend Kat, but um, you were very welcoming to me as someone with, like, a longstanding relationship with that conference, and I, I was grateful for it. Oh,
0: thank you, and you're so welcome. It was really just such a pleasure to finally meet you after kind of dancing around each other online for so long
1: yeah and then we have um a mutual friend as well and my very dear friend jen who lives here in nevada city and who is just probably my my closest friend and her daughter is my 12 year old's good friend and um i remember somehow you got brought up years ago and she was like i actually know rebecca from from living yeah. in palm desert and i was like what you do <laughs>
0: yes it's so strange the um the store that her sister used to own had a cafe in it where I used to work. And then my closest friend in the world lived at Jen's house for a while. Like, it's,
1: it's, mm-hmm. it's so
0: funny. There's so many connections there.
1: Wow. Yeah, that's um, Harvest Health Food Store <laughs> yes. in Palm Desert. <laughs> Um, okay. So my first question, it's a big question and I, um, you know, don't think you're going to answer it in like a few minutes or anything. I think it could take us a while to get through all of it, but, um, knowing some of your story and having read your newsletters for years, I'm seeing like this bigger pattern, this bigger story emerge here. So I would like to ask you, um, about this experience you had when you were 18 and how it brought you into the world of depression and that led you into pharmaceutical use and how that messed you up for a long time <laughs> and then what brought you out of that and onto the plant path and then after that I was thinking sorry to lay this huge thing out in front of you and I'll guide it as we go um, but that we could talk a little bit about your understanding of depression and how you how you work to help people through that now. I would love to talk about all of this and um, so let's see, when I was 18,
0: my stepsister committed suicide. And I was, at the time, um, I had, my, I'm from Scotland, and I moved to California with my family when I was 16. And I'd gone back to Scotland to go to university. And there's a funny thing that happens when you get used to the Southern Californian sunlight and then move to somewhere that rains maybe 300 days a year. Um, where you, I, I was just miserable in a way, just because it was so rainy all the time anyway, and I missed I had a you know I had some close friends here in California, and I missed them and so I was kind of like not doing that well in the first place at university um and then I got a phone call one day and my my stepsister had committed suicide, and i you know, I dropped out of university and moved home and I basically, I, I sunk into a really deep depression. Um, in part, I think due to the the grieving process, because it, you know, as I think most people know, losing a family member is devastating. And, um, in part, I think due to just, you know, being a bit lost in life and um you know there's so many questions when when somebody you're close to takes their own life because you know there there's just there's always questions and so anyway I was really really depressed and I went to my doctor for a checkup and I kind of mentioned that I wasn't doing so well and they sent me to a psychiatrist who spent maybe 15 minutes with me and said ah yes I know what the problem is here you're bipolar and I remember at the time I was actually like that was really sort of confusing and upsetting to me in a way because I was like but I thought I was just quirky (laughs) like it uh it was really um sort of difficult for me to hear that like all of these things that I had just thought made me like naturally quirky were all of a sudden considered quote unquote a disorder. And, um, but at the same time I was in so much emotional pain. And so when this man said, yes, you have a disorder, this is what's happening. And there are medications that you can take. will take that. will take your pain away. I was like, yeah, g- give me, give me the drugs, man. Um, And so I ended up, like, long story short, I mean, this is a long story, it's not short, but to try and shorten the long story, it, I ended up over the course of time on five different medications, and it got to the point where I, like, I I didn't know who I was, I didn't know where I was, I was so emotionally volatile, like, I couldn't trust my own reactions to things, and... I remember one time I was at UCSB at the time studying book arts and I would go to the printmaking studio at night and be there all night because I could be there on my own and play music. And I remember one time I just like crawled under one of the big tables there and just started sobbing. And I was like, I, I, I feel so lost and I have no idea what's going on and morning must have come around because my teacher who was the head of the art department came in and like he kind of looked at me and I could see in his eyes like there's something wrong um and then a few weeks later my mom called me and she was like look I think you should move home um and she handled everything she actually dropped me out of school and you know moved me back in to their house and took me to a different psychiatrist and I just remember saying, like, I, I, my mom saying to the psychiatrist, like, I don't know what's going on, but I want to see what's underneath um, all of these medications, because this isn't my daughter. And th- it's funny looking back, because I have been through similar things with clients. And the psychiatrist basically, like, gave me a plan. I was like, yeah, so you just need to taper off all your medication and then stop taking your medications. And then that's it. And so I was like, all right
1: um and so, so you you also you wanted to get off too
0: I wanted to get off I had I was just I was such a wreck I was also terrified to get off because it had been I think four years at that time and I didn't know um I genuine genuinely at this point thought I was crazy mm-hmm. um and so the psychiatrist just gave me a plan and then sent me home to taper myself off five different medications and then a few weeks later my parents um because I have a little sister who's 16 years younger than me my parents moved to Orange County and thankfully they hadn't yet they couldn't sell their house where I was staying so I I managed like I, I was basically staying in this house all on my own and started tapering myself off medications and this was like pre-Facebook um which is probably good because there would be, <laughs> my my mental state would have been documented for all to see for eternity. Um, but there were some online forums basically where people talked about the withdrawal effects, which is the only reason that I knew that the things that were happening in my body were normal. Because I like if I thought I was crazy before, it, that is nothing compared to the effects of withdrawing from five different pharmaceuticals at the same time. And um, basically, I've had so many clients since then who have tried to withdraw and haven't been able to. And I understand completely because I think the only reason I could was that I was so like I had this kind of confluence of amazing privileges that allowed me to do it in a very safe way. Um, but it is an actual living hell because you can't you cannot trust anything that your brain is coming up with like your emotions change all the time your thoughts are just like coming up with things that that aren't even controllable um it was awful and that took about about six months to taper off fully and then probably another two years until I felt like I was myself again but in the process of this withdrawal I had a friend who was a yoga teacher and she was like you should start doing yoga so I got a job cleaning a yoga studio in exchange for classes and so I would go and do yoga two times a day and one time I walked into a class and um, a man was sitting there and he looked up at me and he says hmm, do you want a job I was like well, what do you do And he said I'm a herbalist and not like sure and so this man he had a health food store in palm desert where he sold herbs and he'd studied chinese medicine in london and he taught me about herbs and took me under his wing and he you know he taught me about nutrition and blood sugar levels and that maybe for someone with as much energy as me like living on sugar and caffeine wasn't a good thing <laughs> And he like he taught me about things like liver cheese stagnation and repressed emotions, and like there was there were so many things that he taught me about that at you know towards the end of my time working for him, I was like, "Wow, maybe maybe i I'm not actually bipolar, maybe I was just you know treating myself in ways that weren't actually good for me, that were causing me to have like extreme emotional reactions." Um, like
1: the food you were eating or like your,
0: your lifestyle, the food I was eating. I, I basically lived on sugar and sugar and
1: sweet caffeine drinks. Um, and of and course was, your uh, psychiatrist didn't ask about your diet. Of course not. Of course not. <laughs> well,
0: that's, that's irrelevant. Um, completely irrelevant. Um, Yeah, it's, it's, it's funny looking back that like now working in this field, it is so obvious, but I, I, I think in, in our society, we're, we're not taught that the, the things that we do can have an impact on our mood. We're sort of taught that it's an arbitrary thing that happens to us in a way and, and not that, you know, you're your thought processes, the things you eat, your exercise patterns, the, you know, the pace that you live at, your connections, your friendships, your, you know, all of these different things contribute to how you feel, which in some ways is so obvious, but it, it wasn't at the time. And I think so many of us are, are taught from such an early age that these things are arbitrary and that we can we can't do anything about how we feel, but we can take something that will change how, like stop us feeling bad basically. Um, yeah. In a way it's, it's, it's so, so incredibly disempowering how we're taught that we have no control over our feelings. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So in the process of that, I, Sorry, I keep getting emails um, and I don't know how to switch it off. In the process of that, I started hiking and this was in Palm Desert and there is, there's a hiking trail there that's like a really popular hiking trail that I think like the entire population of Palm Desert does and it, I, I started doing that every day, sometimes twice a day and In the process of just spending so much time outside this place, like, I mean, I I moved to Palm Desert from Scotland and Scotland is very green and lush. And Palm Desert, especially in the summer, is sort of like brown and hilly. (laughs) And there were many times after moving there that I would just look at these mountains and just think, oh, God, it's so dead here. Um, And it was so fascinating to me starting to hike and starting to see these mountains close up and realizing, oh my goodness, this isn't dead. This place is really alive. And and then, how, how woo-woo can I get with you? Huh, quite. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, one day I was out hiking and I sort of met the spirit of the mountain. At least it it felt like the spirit of the mountain. Um granted, keep it keep in mind, like after you know, after being told that I was insane for years, this was very scary. <laughs> but um it's it's interesting how there are experiences that you you feel so viscerally that you, you absolutely can't doubt that they're real. Um Yeah, and I I just I started meeting these spirit out there and feeling it and feeling this like this feeling of being held. And so every time I would start to get, you know, volatile due to the withdrawal process or due to maybe being a volatile person in general, I would just head straight for the mountain and I would go and there was a spot about a mile and a half up where I would just curl into this kind of alcove in the mountain and I would just lie there until I felt better. Um and in many ways, I feel like like the desert saved my life it was it was spending time out there that I started realizing that I'm not really that important, which um is a really good feeling um mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and yeah, so that that's how I got into herbs, and that's how I got into plants and nature um it was sort of like a a calling like it got to the point where I just i couldn't I, I couldn't really stay away from it because it felt like such an integral part of who I was.
1: Mm, and to think, like, what if what if that had been your prescription when you were eighteen, right? Right.
0: Although um, I, I, I have to say, I'm so grateful to have gone through that because I I don't know if I would value the the kind of hard-earned lessons as much if if I hadn't fought for them and had to kind of claw my way out of this place. Like, I I don't know if I would trust my own um, feelings and direction as much. So I am grateful for the experience, but it was hell, and I wouldn't wish it on anyone else.
1: It's interesting, too, hearing you um, talk about how you perceived the desert as just being sort of brown and lifeless um because now i think of you as such a you know a desert person you post so often about your adventures out there and you work with the herbs and um i've never had much of a connection with desert landscapes um and then i i've been down there now with jen twice and in march both times um so i was introduced to blooming creosote Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. We took a hike. It might have been the trail you're talking about. It was pretty well traveled trail. Um, and, and you know, she, she introduced me to that plant and I had some with me in my car for a long time after that. And the smell, oh my gosh. It smells incredible. It's so special. Um, and then uh, someone sent me an infused body oil made with it. So I have that. Oh, scent wow. Captured. Yeah, it's amazing. And um, the ocotillo also. Oh, my goodness. And You know, these are, like, kind of – I mean, they're not herbs that people in the mainstream maybe know so much about, but for sure they're kind of, like, superstars in the herbal world. You know, they're, like, sexy herbs. Um, <laughs> they're totally sexy herbs. <laughs> and
0: <laughs> it's just they're funny so Because
1: they're, like,
0: I, I, like, especially creosote, like, it's just everywhere out here. But it is uh, – yeah, they're totally – Um, I was watching a British gardening show last week, and the host said something about, you know, exotic plants like agave, and I was like, (laughs) (laughs) it's it's funny. Um, Yeah, but that's interesting. I think that things, a a lot of bioregional herbs are very sexy in the herb world. Um, I I just, I, I noticed that like the, you know, Pacific Northwest herbs that I can't get here are like, they're, I mean, they're sexy to me. If mm-hmm. someone, you know, I have a client in the Pacific Northwest and whenever she's out hiking, she sends me photos of Devil's Club and I'm like, oh, wow, mm-hmm. so cool. Um, yeah, I think maybe that's a very human thing to think it's exotic what we don't have next to us.
1: Right, and I also had a somewhat similar experience. I grew up in South Lake Tahoe and then... Actually went through pretty major depression and anxiety at the same age, and I you know I'm wondering now if that's pretty common for like the late teens, mm-hmm. early twenties. I think it must be. It's just a hard transition into grown really grown upness. We aren't taught how to be grown ups. Like when I look back and I'm like, I can't believe I like left my home at 18 and moved right. far away and thought I could handle my shit. Right. I didn't know anything.
0: We we are not taught how to be grown ups. And we don't have any rites of initiation. Yeah. Which is really interesting. Have you read any of Maladoma Some's
1: books? I, I am familiar with his work and I've heard him on a podcast and I was just this week being like, I need to dive deeper.
0: He is amazing. I had the privilege of meeting him a few months ago and his books really changed my life in so many ways, um, in part because the way he talks about magic and ritual um, and and the fact that um for people who aren't familiar with him, he is an African elder who has had a fascinating life, and his book, I think it's called of Water and Spirit, describes his um, his early life growing up in Burkina Faso and then being sent away to a Jesuit school, and how he over the course of his life, has come to realize that people in the West need to learn about Indigenous culture, and he talks about magic and ritual in a way. And so, I think he says somewhere that there is no word for magic where he grew up because it's such an integral part of mm. life that it's just normal. And you know, people talk about like what who we would call fairies. Like that's you know they are. They exist and they're real it's not just like here where you start you know people say oh, are you away with the theories as if to say are you crazy like no the the spirit world is a very real part of of life and for so many cultures around the world this is very real and yet for us here in the west it is it's not talked about we don't have a language for it it is seen as like Woo-woo or crazy or out there, and you know, and everyone meets everything you say, like with oh, but you know, you can't prove that. Where's the scientific studies about that? And it's like, how can you how can you prove that which cannot be proven because it doesn't exist in the world of logic. Um. So anyway, his books. I had a point. I don't remember. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is this is a problem when I start talking. Yeah, initiation. Oh yeah. So he talks about the initiations that they go through in his culture when um, when children are becoming adults, and how important it is for a person to sort of um, learn who they are in this way. And it is it's something that we we don't have, and so most of us when we're becoming adults don't know our place in the world and i don't mean that in the british way of like know your place but in the sense of like knowing who you are and where you stand and where you belong and what you're here for
1: yeah i i am familiar with maladoma's work through his um emphasis on the ancestors and i which is to me, the most foundational piece of of knowing who you are. And it's um, interesting what you bring up with how do I know it's real? Because I just last weekend did a three-day intensive um, ancestral lineage healing with people who um, work and have been trained under Dr. Daniel Four, who was um, on episode 26 of the podcast. And it was so profound. And I had the most uh, amazing journeys and encounters with this ancestral spirit guide from my pure paternal lineage like it was like a movie unfolding before me every time I journeyed and met this man and learned from him and um but what came up for so many people during the workshop is like well yeah I just had this experience but like is it real is it real is it real and mine was so big during the workshop that I didn't really question it but then in the days since I have you know Mm -hmm. was that real did I just make it up and it's just such an, we're so, we don't realize like this um, Western, logical, materialistic culture is just the water we swim in. And we take it for granted that it's the only truth, that you can only, the only real things are things you can see and prove. And um, so, you know, it's just, it's interesting to watch so many people during the intensive wrestle with that and then to watch myself do it. And one, one thing that I kind of came to is, even if I'm making it up, which um, I, don't, I don't think I am. And like no, no traditional cultures think they're making right. it up when they're talking with their ancestors or the spirits of the right. land or the plants. But even if I am, I'm at least engaging in a deeply ancestral human practice because people have always done this. They have always felt sensed and communicated with the spirits of place or of their ancestors or of all number of, of yes. animate beings yeah I think the the conclusion I
0: came to um this that i I studied with a group of shamans based in Louisville for about ten years, and for ten years in my training, I kept sort of waiting for someone to tell me that I belonged there because i I had never felt like a person who was deeply connected like I've never seen spirits I've never had like prophetic dreams I've never had any of the things that sort of um we think of as making somebody more um connected to the spirit world in a way so I kept waiting for somebody to tell me that I belonged there or that I was somehow <laughs> special or
1: yeah you've uh, got the gift
0: <laughs> yeah totally it was like I mean these, these are the like I think uh, so many of the stories that we hear as well it's like Harry Potter like you're a wizard Harry I was like mm-hmm.
1: waiting <laughs> <laughs> you a wizard Harry um you know I gotta say I was just thinking about that and like how the um foundation of that book the starting point of that book just immediately captures everyone's attention because we can all relate with being an orphan child and then being told, actually, you do belong to these super magical people over here. Now let's go initiate you. Yes.
0: And um, I I wanted that so badly. And and in the same way as I wanted someone to come along and put their hand on my shoulder and say, yes, this is real. And it occurred to me, and it was honestly about 10 years later, or 10 years into it, that no one was going to tell me. I belonged. No one was going to tell me that I deserved it. And no one was going to confirm to me that it was real, that I sort of had to take the step in on my own. And it was very, very scary. Because in doing that, you're sort of you're risking your own sanity, which, you know, given my history, I think is my greatest fear. Um, and your sanity, your credibility. There's there's so many things there that are on the line. And then one day I just realized I don't want to live in the world where everything is cynical and where none of this exists. And if this makes me crazy, then I would rather be crazy and feel content and complete and happy and like I have a place in the world and like I have invisible friends in the trees and the rocks and the mountains and I'm okay with that
1: right. but
0: what I don't want is to live in a world where I don't trust anything that to me is more scary than losing my mind
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so yeah yeah and it- Even if it is untrue, which we will never know, we'll never know, Um, first of all, um, it's worth it. (laughs) It's worth it to live your life believing in it. Yes. You're happier and more connected and more rooted. Yes. And more human. More human.
0: Um,
1: Yes. So... (laughs) I just I want to finish the thought I was having earlier and connect us back to what we were previously speaking about which is grew up in South Lake Tahoe and uh years after I finished college five or six years later is when I started studying herbalism and at the time I lived where I do now in the Grass Valley Nevada City area of northern california and i was just falling in love with the plants around here and like they're so amazing and like too bad all we had in tahoe was pine trees it's so lame and boring <laughs> and then you know over time i'd go back in the summers and i'd be like oh wait a minute <laughs> oh here's here's artemisia douglas here's mugwort oh here's artemisia tridentata sagebrush grows here too oh there's yarrow oh there's coyote mint like you know just yeah. and all of a sudden it's like Oh, sorry. Sorry. There's hundreds of beautiful medicinal plants here that I had just not seen before because I hadn't been deeply attuned to the place. Isn't that funny? It is funny. And then, you you know, the desert being like the archetypal, um, barren landscape, which is not in any way.
0: It's not at all. It's funny to me now when people say like, Oh, it's a desert. And I'm like, what you mean? Rich in life, really biodiverse? Really beautiful when you look up close, and they're like, uh,
1: "That that's not what I meant." <laughs> <laughs> well, in extremely special um, creatures and plants living there because they've evolved in such extreme conditions. Yes, and really, there's something about when when storms
0: roll through the desert. There's something so insanely powerful about this sort of meeting of elements, this kind of confluence of things that are complete opposite to each other sorry sorry drop the microphone I dropped my earpiece um yeah the, these complete opposites and then the rain comes and it's like the most insanely
1: powerful feeling it's so beautiful mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> sounds amazing <laughs> um so okay this this is another question that kind of ties in <laughs> it's two big things so okay one thing that we sometimes look at on this podcast is mythic archetypes that really call to us. And when I asked you about this before we talked, you went on a wonderful rant about <laughs> the this idea of the hero's journey. Um, and I agree with you and all that you have to say about that. So I'm going to ask you to rant for us on okay. um, the hero's <laughs> journey. And then at the end, too, you tied it into the four humors approach to herbalism and I wanted to talk to you about that too, because here, this is an ancestral idea that many people are um have turned away from, you know that mm-hmm. is like, "Oh, we discredited that long ago, like let's yes. move past that, and I honestly don't entirely understand it, um and I want to because the way that you and Jim McDonald use it is clearly useful, and um so yeah, that's okay, that's good okay okay <laughs> um, <laughs>
0: let's see I'll start with the humors I learned about the four humors from my friend Jim McDonald who learned about the four humors from Christopher Headley who learned about the four humors from Galen though not directly because that would be um (laughs) big stretch of time and because Galen is an ancient Greek yes (laughs) thank you (laughs) for clarifying um yeah, I think there's like a few thousand years spanning that, um, and the it's a constitutional system basically that Jim teaches, and Jim and I teach together, um, and the one of the main aspects of it is this idea of the the humoral temperaments, which is the kind of expression of the four humors in our personalities and we all contain all four of these humors that express in our temperaments so we we we're all all four temperaments in various combinations and they will express in different areas of our lives in different ways um but these four temperaments are sanguine choleric phlegmatic and melancholic and they correspond roughly to the four elements of air, fire, water, and earth. And I'll give you a very, very quick overview of each of them, just so that we have some kind of context for this. The air element, which expresses in the sanguine temperament, is quick-moving, um, all over the place, literally, and... It expresses in our personalities in being quick moving and all over the place. So when you meet someone who has a large expression of the sanguine temperament, they are outgoing, gregarious. They tend to have very lots of very quick ideas, lots of energy. Um, they tend to love people and love being around people, and whoever they're with in the moment is their closest friend in the world. They love revelry, they love parties, they love music and dancing and drinking. And experimentation, and you know, these are the people who are like, sure, I'll try anything once, um, and they are such fun to be around. Um, normally, the the most likable initially of all the temperaments because they are so kind of extroverted and interested in other people. The the second one is fire element which expresses in the choleric temperament and the choleric temperament is everyone i mean everyone is going to be familiar with all of these but the choleric temperament we are all the most familiar with because we live in a society that was created by cholerics and is run by cholerics so cholerics are efficient on time productive driven focused fast And if you think about it, this is sort of the epitome of what we see as a good person in society. Like, cholerics make direct eye contact and, like, have a strong handshake. And they are, you know, the types of people who other cholerics meet and go, well, they seem like a stand-up person. Um, And cholerics, because cholerics are the people who tend to say I know what needs to be done here like let's get this in order let's make this more efficient they are the ones who sort of created the structure for our society and tend to be the ones who rise into positions of authority more quickly because they're the ones who'll say I'll take care of this nobody's getting anything done here so I'm going to step in um and because cholerics run the society and one of the um let's say less um less positive traits of a choleric person is that they tend to be, they tend to find it very difficult to see outside of their own worldview. So, you know, I'll tell you about phlegmatics in a minute. And phlegmatics are the opposite. That's water. And phlegmatics tend to be very empathetic and find it very easy to sort of step into other people's emotions and lives and um, can really sort of get a feeling for how someone else feels. Cholerics are, in, like, in order to move forward as quickly as they do, they sort of are naturally cut off from their connections to the world. So, cholerics don't really see other types of personalities outside their own because that's how they are, that's what they see as a kind of quote unquote good personality. Um, and so, all of the other temperaments who are like natural, it's a natural way for other people to be other ways in the world, cholerics don't really see that. They see that as like, well, you just need to, you know, you just need to be more efficient. Like, why aren't you getting this done fast enough? Um, you know, it's like every time a choleric gives a phlegmatic person advice and it's like, well, why don't you just write a list? Um, I'm guilty of that myself. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we, we live in a coloric society basically and people who are cholerics living in a choleric society um my friend rosalie de la Forette, she came up with this term she calls it choleric privilege (laughs) where if you are choleric and live in a choleric society you have immense privilege because you are the way that society wants people to be um phlegmatics are water and they tend to be empathetic um they live for connections with other people. Like to have you know, a three hour connection conversation with a friend where you make like deep eye contact and really feel like you're getting to know another person is like the phlegmatic dream. Um, phlegmatics love to move at their own pace, which is usually very slowly. Like they really want to feel things. And, like, and, and if you push a phlegmatic too fast, it really, really flusters them because it's like they, they need to be able to kind of feel into a situation. Um phlegmatics are, are feelers, like they'll, you know, f- they cook by feel, they like meet people and determine if they like them based on their feelings. And they, they sort of, they're, they're the people who say, I feel this, I feel that. Um, and it is a personality trait that is, or phlegmatic personalities are most commonly associated with being female, but it's not actually exclusive to people with female reproductive organs it's just that in our society we have kind of classified like well women are supposed to be like this and men are supposed to be like cholerics but you know as you probably all know there are plenty of men um who are able to be empathetic and plenty of women who are very focused and driven and we all contain all of these and i think it's yet another one of the things that is messed up about our society that we try and tell people you know what gender they should be and how they should act based on that but um where do I go oh and then the the last one is the melancholic which is earth and melancholics are quiet observers and these are the people who are you know least likely to be chatterboxes to strangers. They tend to be very kind of taciturn and stoic and like to really observe a situation for a long time before jumping in. No, they, they don't jump in. Um, they will like tactfully step in when it is deemed okay to do so. Um, melancholics do not phone you back. Um, I say that for the benefit of my mother who like despairs that my melancholic brother doesn't call her very often. <laughs> um, They'll let's see a missed call and be like, oh, that's so nice that that person called me. But they don't call back because it's like, I don't know, I, I, the melanchol- melancholics don't really, um, they'll have a, a few people in their life who they're very close to who won't even see them as introverted because they'll be so kind of goofy and open around them. But then for the rest of the people, they are very, um, I, I, I call it the kind of stonewall there's, they, they don't emote, um, which isn't to say that they don't feel because they feel so much, but they keep it to themselves. It's like they don't, they don't need to share. I'm sure everyone knows melancholics, I, uh, and I am sort of on a crusade in life to help melancholics be more understood because I feel like if people could understand that they do like people, are happy to be there, they just don't want to talk a lot. Um, it would do so much for melancholics because they're really, really misunderstood, and people think they're antisocial and people think they don't like them. And it's like, no, they just want to be left alone. And, you know, the, I think the greatest gift you can give your melancholic is to just let them be. Um, so, anyway, these are the four temperaments. And I mentioned that we live in a choleric society. And one of the the things that arises from this choleric society is the fact that we live with choleric myths. And one of those myths is the hero's journey. And we have all been raised with these stories, whether it's Odysseus or it's Luke Skywalker or um, I can't think of any others right now.
1: But (laughs) but just so many. So many. many. It's like this, this... lone person who is
0: special somehow and changes the course of humanity with their own um their own humble (laughs) frodo Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Frodo. literally just (laughs) picture yeah um and and so we're sort of kind of raised to believe that that i the individual um I'm on this journey where I can be this, the hero and the hero of my own myth. And in some ways, this is very important because, you know, all four of these temperaments are very important. And without this choleric myth in society and in ourselves, we don't move forwards. We don't have progress for better or worse. We don't get anything done. We don't have um, organization or efficiency. But that that choleric without any of the other temperaments and without seeing the, the beautiful benefits of all of these other temperaments is just out of control. And I think this is what's happened in society because cholerics don't necessarily see the other temperaments as they don't see them as kind of valid expressions of life in themselves. It's like, well, you know, you're, you're deficient in color. (laughs) (laughs) We could fix you by giving you a to-do list. Um, Because these other temperaments aren't seen as, as necessarily valid or important. We also, we don't hear the phlegmatic myths. We don't hear, you know, the stories of, of the person who changed the world by like, having a deep conversation with somebody who felt lost and broken we don't hear about the you know the court jester who livened the spirits of everyone with their sanguine temperament and and sent everyone home feeling so much better about themselves and their life and how that changed the course of the world we don't hear about the you know the melancholic hero who uh, you know when the when the sanguine king wanted to set off on a like completely unthought out plan the melancholic stepped in and said yes but have you thought about this and this and this and how all of this could go wrong and change the course of the future by like um by quietly observing and a few well-placed sentences like we, we don't we don't hear these stories and we don't value them and therefore in ourselves these aspects of ourselves are also not seen as important um and i think there's a I, you know, an example of this, I was talking to my very, very choleric husband about this choleric society. And he was like, yeah, but like, you know, what would you have like a phlegmatic society? And I was like, well, I think it would be really interesting to try a phlegmatic society. I think it would drive all of us crazy because we'd all be like crying and connecting all the time. <laughs> um, and he was like, yeah, so, you know, we need a choleric society because otherwise we would be inefficient. And I was like, But if not, for you having the worldview of a choleric society, you would not see being efficient as the most important thing. And the look on his face, he was just like, oh, Mm -hmm. (laughs) like, wait a minute, like, efficiency is only important because I'm choleric and I live in a choleric society. I was like, yeah, like... Sometimes it's really nice to do something inefficiently, and I think all of a sudden, like the way he sees the way I work, which is very in- inefficient, <laughs> it was like, oh, wait, like you don't need to do things the most fast, efficient, and productive way possible. And I'm like, no, how about you enjoy it? <laughs> like, how, how about you know, there's so many different ways that you can move through life, and I think it's beautiful for us to get to experience that and enjoy it in each other and respect it in each other. And if we had more myths about this, I think it would change society.
1: Mm, it makes me think that we, we only like do myth and a pretty specific formula in this culture, you know, and it, it's the stories that are going to make a really good movie, like Lord of the Rings yes. or Harry Potter or Star Wars. Um, but sometimes if you like go really deep into old folklore books or you know you'll read a story and like it makes no sense (laughs) it doesn't resolve in the way you're used to and you're nothing heroic happened (laughs) and those they're hard to digest you know I have to sit with them and be like what is really happening here because this isn't the formula I'm used to totally but there's wisdom there and um Man, just like thinking about this choleric framework, because that, that sounds the most like me of the four that you talked about, mm-hmm. but I also feel like a lot of it is like forced upon me because I run a business, I do this podcast, and I have a two-year-old, and so okay. I have to be efficient with like the two or three hours a day I have to try to do all that stuff, right. and, and then I really almost always end up feeling pretty crazy at the end of those few hours, because I'm like, eh. Yes. I just like tried to fit so much in, and I just recently changed the way I do packaging and shipping. I mm-hmm. used to like lay out all the bottles and get all the boxes in one, and like co- sort of um, what's that called, like production line, you know? Mm-hmm. And now I do it one package at a time, which means I'm moving much more often. I'm not standing still in one place doing uh-huh. a repetitive motion over and over. Now I like tape open the box get the medicine, wrap it up, put it in, turn around, write the name, print the thing out, get, you know, and, um, it means I'm moving more often and I'm enjoying it so much more because I'm, I got myself out of that super efficiency mindset. That's really nice. I mean, Adam Smith would, you know, have a heart attack.
0: Um, he wrote, yeah. Yeah. He (laughs) came up with a production line. Henry Ford. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Um, but yeah, see there, there's, it's really interesting to sort of undo these ideas of like, wait, what happens if I don't do things in this choleric efficient way? And there's, there's something really interesting. I, I've I've noticed in myself, the more I try and step outside of doing that, not, not to be rebellious, but because I think it's really important to learn our own rhythms and learn where, like where are sort of, our our midpoint or like the crossover of like enjoying our work and finding pleasure in it and finding nourishment in it and still being able to move forwards. There's a, there's a place in the middle there where you can still, still feel your body and still be able to process and, um, and still be working. And I think we, in, in society, we're also trained to want to move as fast as possible that we cut ourselves off in order to do that. And I I think that there's also, I think this really kind of represents what happens, what's happening in the world right now, especially in California with the drought situation. Like I see this, I see the phlegmatic as being this like nourishing yin aspect of our lives and our personalities where we are kind of fed in the same way as like, you know, if you have a really beautiful, deep conversation with someone who you're close to, it nourishes you. Or if you get a beautiful hug from someone, it's nourishing. And then um, we we cut all of this off in order to get things done as quickly as possible and efficiently as possible. And and I think this is why there's so much yin deficiency in our culture in the West. And I think it this is me getting a bit woo woo again, but I think the the drought is a direct reflection of our need to move as quickly as possible. Mm.
1: Um, so Th- that's not woo woo, you know. This it's it's a result of human actions and humans, and greed, <laughs> and yeah. that yeah efficiency mindset and extractive yeah. mindset, which can so go hand in hand. Yeah, you're right. Um, you're. Beautifully transitioning into what I wanted to talk about next, which is this. Um, so you you send out incredible newsletters, and uh, we'll give Thank people you. the opportunity to sign up at the end. Um, but like, I mean, they're they're like books. <laughs> I mean, first of all, if you put them all together, I'm sure you'd have a book. Um, but it's very, very like deeply woven. Plant medicine information in here. Yes, yeah. I mean, they're so good. I'm always like, everyone needs to be reading what I'm reading right now. (laughs) And you recently did one on deep roots for stressful times, Um, Uh and it's talking about a lot of what we're talking about right now: the fires, the drought, exhaustion, and stress, and listening to our bodies. And how, like, how do you work with root medicine um, in in these times? (sighs) Oh thinking to organize
0: Thoughts. yeah yeah and you're I was... right it, it totally ties in with the choleric thing yeah I, there's I think it would be easier for me to show you with an exercise do you mind no please oh, we do that okay So if you can close your eyes, and everyone listening, if you're not driving, please do the same. If you're driving, please keep your eyes open. This is very important. Um, And start to take a few deep breaths. And as you breathe, start to feel your breath moving into your body on the inhale and leaving your body on the exhale. And now start to scan your body and look for areas where you might be holding tension. It could be your forehead, your jaw, your shoulders, your belly your pelvic floor, your chest. And now just choose one of those areas. And pick that area, and as you keep breathing, but start to tense it more. And tense it more. And you're gonna keep tensing it until you can't really tense it anymore. And you should notice as you keep tensing that it's gonna start to contort your body a little, or maybe a lot. And when you're tensing it so hard that you're almost shaking with it, take a deep inhale, and then drop it all, and breathe. Breathe to that area where you were tensing. And if you move it around a little bit. Now, feel for the earth underneath you. Feel its solidness underneath you. Feel its nurturing nature underneath you. And feel where the earth is pressing against your body. It might be physically that you can feel your body touching the earth, or it might be energetically that you can feel the earth pressing against your energy. Wherever it is that the earth is touching you, breathe to that place and soften it. And try not to overthink this. Just let the earth in. Let it let that nurturing, nourishing, solid, stable energy into your body. And just keep breathing. And allow it to feed you. In a way it's like you're taking a step back inside yourself and allowing it to happen, like you're, you're doing the opposite of actively drawing it in. And just allowing it to do what it naturally does. And then when you're ready, open your eyes.
1: does the world look different (laughs) Mm, softer yeah and I feel deeply reminded of what nourishes me yeah and it's right there it's right there it's so easy to ignore it when I'm in my choleric mindset right (laughs) All
0: of us I, I think this is this is what we cut off in order to get things done better, quicker, more efficiently. Mm-hmm. And this is I think our our natural state of being where you can still, you know, move around the world like this and get things done. I mean granted I'm often very spacey like this, I, I need a list, <laughs> but to What I try and do is move through the world and work and drive and handle all the things I need to handle from this place so that I'm no longer burning through resources in order to achieve things. And this to me is sort of the essence of what root medicine is, like remaining rooted while still moving about the world.
1: Hmm. And do you work with actual roots? <laughs> yes, yeah, sorry, that was that. To get you there.
0: Um, I love working with roots. Um, I love, yes, I love working with roots. Um, I, you know it's funny I, I mentioned the bioregional stuff earlier and I really like working with bioregionals but in, in this regard one of my favorites is actually Devil's Club because I feel like it really ties in so deeply to that like old earth energy
1: it's mm. um, not a plant I, I know it's in the Pacific Northwest I know it's very so, powerful and special and beautiful <laughs> So yeah. It's one of those, you see a photo of it and you're like, Oh, hello. Um, and
0: I've, I'm very lucky that I have a friend up there who sent me some. And I probably, you know what, I am going to change that because I think it's a bit unfair in a way to talk about something. It's like a bit plant elitist, isn't it? To be like, well, there's one thing that not very many people can get, but I have a friend who sends me some. <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry about that. Um, Let's see. And in oh my goodness shatavari there we go shatavari is sort of epitomizes to me that like that soft deep nourishing yin slow earthy moist energy i'm really trying to get used to saying the word moist
1: oh are you one of those people who hates it i yep And, (laughs)
0: and it you know jim mcdonald every time we're teaching he loves like throwing moists <laughs> in there all the time and like giving me looks i'm trying to get used to it so that i'm you know not giving people ammunition <laughs> to mess with me <laughs> um but shatavari i i think sort of epitomizes that like it it really it helps people to build back up their their kind of deep root nourished energy but at the same time it's not it doesn't give people like a an energy boost it just sort of um builds back up your reserves and I think over time it really serves to soften um yes, yeah, soften our bodies but also soften the way we interact with the world
1: yeah mm. that's when I hear you and see you post about a, I mean I, I my impression is that you'd like drink it every day in tea every day <laughs> yeah every yeah. day
0: that was um Thomas easily got me doing that actually um 'Cause I was having I was having some gallbladder issues and talking to him about it. And he's like, Yeah, well you're you're really, really dry. I mean, do you drink infusions? And I was like, Well, you know, I mean I teach about them. He's like, <laughs> I yeah, tell but... other people too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's like, but do you take them yourself? And I was like, Well, you know, like consistency isn't really my strong point. And like he gets this look on his face and he goes, Okay, I challenge you. I challenge you to do the fourteen day shatavari infusion. Challenge and I was like, like I've so, I'm, I, I can be very choleric. And I was like, What? The challenge? Oh, yeah? I'll show you. I'll show, I'm going to be the, the, the biggest infusion drinker in the world. I'm going to be the moistest person you ever meet. I <laughs> was like, My work here is done. Um, yeah, so I did the 14 day Shatavari infusion challenge that he made up on the spot and carried on. And I've been drinking it um, every day for a couple of years now. And, um, it, I I think in many ways it changed my life because I didn't really consider myself to be a soft person at all. Um, and it's over the course of, of the time that I've been drinking it, obviously lots of other things have happened. Um, but I feel like Shatavery in many ways has taught me how to soften and let the world in and let other people in and let connections in um yeah I'm, I'm very 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 fond of that plant <laughs> mm-hmm. it, it's the first plant I sent out I, I teach a course on connecting to like con- connecting to the, the hidden world and the spirit world and connecting to the earth and connecting to ourselves and Shatavri is the first plant that I send out for that because I think it it teaches so much about letting letting Things in.
1: We will talk about that. I want to hear more about that. And I'm very intrigued now. And of course, I'm going to challenge myself to this 14 day um, infusion. Yeah. <laughs> 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 this, this would
0: be amazing if more people do this 14,
1: Thomas Easley's 14 day infusion challenge. <laughs> um you also mentioned uh ashwagandha in here and this is I think another like sexy buzzy herb um and also not one I have much experience with although we grew it this year and just harvested it and I think we're going to to tincture it um how how do you work with it and what's your understanding of ashwagandha
0: I love it in tincture and I love it in powder um and actually, I think the, the traditional way, when I was in India, I was talking to an Ayurvedic herbalist who told me to um, simmer ashwagandha root in milk and drink it that way. Mm. Um, but I really, I, I enjoy the powder stirred in. I actually, I mix the powder with cocoa and, you know, we'll drink that at night. It's really nice. Um, I think ashwagandha, it, to me, it tastes and smells like chocolate. Now, to some people... Um there's a herbalist here in Southern California called Julie James, and she is she's an am- amazing, amazing herbalist and teacher. And she is very vocal about how much she dislikes the smell of ashwagandha. And the first time we talked about it, I was like, what? But it smells like chocolate. And she was like, it, it smells like horse urine. Um, and that was the first time I learned that some people. Don't like it I
1: think it's sort of like the cilantro thing mm-hmm. like some people you know love it and some people hate it um I just have I, to say that we d- we dried the roots in the room I sleep in because we have a big drying mat in there and every time I stepped into that room I was like oh this is such a heavenly sleep <laughs> scent here <Isn't> it <laughs> was it chocolatey to you I didn't I didn't think that but sweet no? like for sure oh. sweet yeah
0: I love it <laughs> it's, um and I, I feel like ashwagandha, it sort of um, rebalances the fluctuations of the nervous system. That's kind of how I see it anyway, sort of like regulating the the tendencies that we have to sort of um, have like great bursts of energy and then collapsing. <laughs> and um, ashwagandha sort of provides this like steady baseline where you have more sustained energy overall and I think one of the ways that it does that is by it, it deepens our sleep um which is just such a wonderful thing whenever I've taken ashwagandha regularly i like I, I sleep so deeply and so well mm-hmm. and wake up feeling so rested and I think that's um maybe one of the ways that it helps with our energy levels so well because we're actually getting the like the rest and nourishment that we need wow. um, yeah <laughs> It's almost like it puts like we, we in society tend to have our like activity and rest um, like folders in the wrong pockets or something because mm-hmm. we, we, we rest and we're wired and we try and get stuff done when we're tired. And ashwagandha helps put everything back where it's supposed to be so that we can rest with all of ourselves and be active with
1: all of ourselves. Oh, that's beautiful. Um, Very helpful metaphor there and... Thank you. Yes, you're welcome. Yes, please. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think we all need it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah I I think roots can be um, overlooked. <laughs> you know, yeah. literally. Or we, we see the leaves, we see the flowers. Those are just um, what cap- what we literally evolved to capture our attention. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, to get into the roots, it's it takes another step. You know, as far as, of course, if you're harvesting yourself, it's harder work. Um, it's mm-hmm. a very different process. And then it's going to take longer usually to process that into medicine as well. But um, even if you're not growing or making your own medicine, just having, having the uh, energetic eye to look at the roots and to come into relationship with them and see how getting more rooted in your life um, can change things. Yes. Into the darkness. Yes. Into the soil. Oh, it's beautiful. Um, okay, Rebecca, let's, you have a lot of things. You have a lot of offerings. Um, yeah, so I was going <laughs> to ask which, like, which temperament do you most associate yourself with? Um, I, I,
0: mostly choleric and phlegmatic. Um and it's funny because um you know like we we want to be choleric in work and phlegmatic when it comes to interpersonal connections like these are, i think you know in in terms of how it would be nice if these temperaments manifested in the world like it, if we all worked in a choleric fashion that would be great but um i'm very phlegmatic when i work <laughs> and i'm very choleric when it comes to other people like i'm i'm the friend who's like oh well you know sorry that happened but you know what you need to do um which I I, I hear is very annoying <laughs> <laughs> um and when it comes to work I'm like oh what do I feel like doing next um and I've tried to switch them around and it's very stressful so <laughs> it's um but yeah mostly choleric phlegmatic which is uh you know am very kind of feeling oriented and need to do things at my own pace in my own way but then also like really focused and um and it turns out I actually like I, I don't see myself as getting very much done um but it turns out
1: that I I actually do uh-huh. according,
0: according <laughs> to other people when I'm like oh my god I'm so slow and people are like are you
1: what yeah <laughs> because that's what I was gonna say was it sanguine was the first one the air element um that I picture you like flitting from here to there creating constantly I have, sanguine. I have a lot of sanguine as well yeah and I mean it's just it's like every new Facebook post which you're one of the best Facebook posters out there Oh, thank you yeah it's just like every post I'm going to read thoroughly because it's going to be smart funny entertaining well-written helpful funny <laughs> oh, thank you yeah um, but you just you know you produce a lot Rebecca you your writings your medicines your projects your teaching it's really a lot It's a lot. Yeah,
0: like I'm starting to realize this. Like after I I I have started to kind of tell the voice in my brain that's like you're not doing enough. I've started to tell it to shut up, Mm -hmm. which is really really handy. Like I highly recommend that to everyone. Is just like be like you know what I am enough and I am doing enough. Thanks for your input, brain, but like go away. And it's a really nice feeling.
1: Yeah, <laughs> and it's also nice for me to hear though that you, it kind of sounds like you experience it in a more phlegmatic way, like you, you're not stressed and frazzled at the end of creating something new. No, I used to be, I used to be, and it's in, in learning
0: to shut that voice up, um, I've learned to really just trust, trust kind of my feelings to take me where, where they go, basically, um and and it's interesting I think I've actually become in some ways I, I hate to use this as a marker for success um and but I've become more productive
1: mm-hmm. in
0: since just starting to do things in my own time in my own way but I I, I I'm sort of loath to couch it in those terms because I think it's once again, like a marker of a choleric society to be like, well, this is only beneficial because I'm more productive. Like I also feel better in my bones. Like I feel much more like myself and I'm so much more content existing in the world in this way, which, you know, is another way of looking at it. But a side effect
1: is I'm more productive. Well, I am inspired to try to get there myself. I hope Um, you can. It feels really wonderful. Yeah, I'm going to ask Shatavari and Ashwagandha to help me. (laughs) Yeah, you should do the challenge.
0: Do like the 14-day Shatavari and Ashwagandha infusion challenge.
1: Yes. (laughs) Um, So tell us about your many projects. How can people sign up for your newsletter, the wonder sessions, your medicines, everything?
0: This is where I'm about to be embarrassed because I just said that I don't (laughs) <laughs> um, so I have, uh, an online shop where I make and sell products and that is called King's Road Apothecary. And on there, there is a, a little tab called that says weekly missive. And that is where you can sign up for my newsletter and it is called the KRA weekly Newsletter of Herbal Brilliance or something like that. <clears throat> I, you know, I, 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 I don't have um, humility issues. <laughs> um, let's see. So that is one of the things that I do. The other thing that I do that I started this year is a course called the Wonder Sessions, and this was sort of it's something that I actually I wanted to start doing about four years ago it was one day when I was sitting under a tree and um once again this is like me getting a bit out there but like the tree told me (laughs) it was like you have to teach them the old ways and I was like I have no idea what you're talking about man like I'm not um you know as far as uh I, I feel like I'm, I'm like a lot of people here in the U.S., where I'm sort of culturally cut off from whatever old ways there are, um, and so I, I didn't really know what what they were talking about. But I, you know, I spend so much time out here, kind of communicating with the trees and the rocks and the spirits in the land and the plants that I'm working with. And the message just got stronger and stronger and stronger. And so one day I was like, okay, I mean, I have no idea what it is that you're asking me to teach, but I, I'm i going to trust you and I'm going to do this. Um, and so I started this course and it's called The Wonder Sessions. And I am so infinitely grateful to the people who signed up for my first year because um, I was like, this you're you're my beta group for this course where I'm going to teach you how to connect to all of these things um and I had like a I had an outline in my head of what I was doing um but it was sort of a leap of faith for all of us and it has just been one of the more beautiful and humbling and incredible experiences of my life and so that is that's the course that I'm teaching and it's a It's mostly like we have online groups um, where we talk and like a, you know, weekly chat where we sort of discuss the stuff. But the bulk of it is a series of books that I've been writing that come in the mail. And I sort of like I wanted it to look like a delivery from Hogwarts. (laughs) So it's like a. It's like brown paper package wrapped in string with a wax seal and um, and it has the book and writings on plants and exercises and recipes. And then the, the book is basically a course leading people into learning how, how how they can perceive the hidden world and connect more deeply with it. And it's sort of like a course in self-healing at the same time because we're we're sort of healing the the wounds inflicted on us in a way by by this society that make us unable to see these things and unable to trust ourselves. So it's um yes, yeah, it's, it's really it's it's quite intense and um, and it's been sort of life changing for all of us.
1: Sounds like um, a remembering.
0: Yes, that's exactly what it is. Thank you. Yeah. I might put that on the website. <laughs> <laughs> um so that's that's the other thing I do. And then recently, I just last week signed a lease on a shop space up here in Idlewild. So mm. I'm moving, moving my workshop up here into the mountains, and I'm going to have a little retail store. Oh, wow. I know. I'm so excited. And um, that is going to be called Wonder Botanica. And it is like this little Grimm-style cottage I'm up here, nestled in the mountains in Idlewild, Wild, California. And much like with the Wonder Sessions, I I don't fully know what it's gonna look like, but it uh it's one of those things that life sort of handed to me in the same way. And so I'm like, Okay, I'm doing what you tell me, even though I have no idea what I'm doing. Mm. <laughs> so so this is here. Oh, it's um, amazing. And next time you come to the desert, you should come up and visit.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to. Um, we want to go back to Palm Springs at some point. We had a lot of fun there. Okay. Yes. Um, so thank you. Thank you, Rebecca. Really nice to have a, a deep drop in with you. And, um, I just really look forward to releasing this conversation. I think people are going to really love what you have to say and, um, and benefit from, from your hard earned life wisdom. Thank you so much for having me. It's
0: been such a pleasure and a joy to talk to you and to get to know you better.
1: Thank you for taking these medicine stories in. I hope they inspire you to keep walking the mythic path of your own unfolding self. I love sharing information and will always put any relevant links in the show notes. You can find my blog, handmade herbal medicines, past podcast episodes, and a lot more at mythicmedicine.love. While you're there, I invite you to click the purple banner across the top of the page to take my quiz, Which Healing Herb is Your Plant Familiar? It's a fun and lighthearted quiz, but the results are really in-depth and designed to bring you into closer alignment with the medicine that you're in need of. If you love the show, please consider supporting my work at patreon.com slash medicine stories. There's some killer rewards there, um, exclusive content, access to online courses, free, beautiful downloadable eBooks, coupon codes, giveaways, and just amazing gifts provided by past guests of the podcast. All of that stuff is at the $2 a month level. Um, for a little more, you can access my herbal ebook or my small online course, And that's all there as a thank you, a huge thank you from me and from my guests for listening, for supporting this work. I love figuring out what I can give to people on Patreon. It's so fun. And I love that Patreon makes it that you can um, contribute for such a small amount a month. I'm a crazy busy and overwhelmed mom and adding this project into my life has been a questionable move for sure but I love doing it and I love the feedback that I get from you all and I just pray that the Patreon continues to allow me the financial wiggle room to keep on doing it while giving back to everyone who's listening. Um, if you're unable to do that, or if you'd like to support further, I would love it if you would subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you would review the podcast on iTunes too, really helps get it into other ears. And it means so much to me when I read those reviews. It's, um, like the highlight of my week when I check them and see new ones and people are amazing. You guys are wonderful. Thank you so much. The music that opens and closes the show is by Marie Sue, M-A-R-I-E-E-S-I-O-U-X. It's from her song Wild Eyes, which is one of my favorite songs of all time. Thank you so much, and I look forward to you next time.